Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Have you ever read something in a Christian book or heard something in a sermon? And after you read it or after you heard it, the only thing you could say is, what in the name of bubblegum are they talking about? Now, maybe that's not a phrase you typically use. What in the name of bubblegum? But it's a phrase that I use. What in the name of bubblegum are you talking about? What in the name of bubblegum is that? Why do I say in the name of bubblegum? I don't know. I just know that I don't want to use anything that would obviously be blasphemous or not right using anything that would relate to God. So in the name of bubblegum seems like a safe thing to say, but at the same time to express my utter confusion and dismay at what I just heard or what I just read. And because it's such an, a, not a phrase typically used by people, it usually gets people's attention. Like, what, what, what did you say? What in the name of bubblegum are you talking about? Now, I know you're thinking, wait, what, what, what are you talking about? Because this is a weird way to begin a podcast episode. You're right. So let me stop for a second. Welcome, everyone. Yes, as you've already heard, this is the Theology Central podcast, where we attempt to make theology central even to things that make absolutely no sense. That's, that's what we're going to try to do here. But let me continue with my introduction It is Tuesday, January the 18th, 2022. It is currently 1221 p.m. Central Time, and I am sitting here in an empty sanctuary in a church in the middle of nowhere, Texas, trying to figure out what in the name of bubblegum is Thomas Akempis talking about. First, We've got to figure out what in the world he's talking about because I'm confused. I, uh, wait, Thomas Kempis, you don't know who that is? Okay. Let me remind you, there's always new people tuning in. We have been working through a book now for well over a year, and that book is The Imitation of Christ, written by Thomas Kempis. The book was written over 500 years ago. We've been working through this book slowly, systematic, and we now come to a chapter where the very first words out of my mouth after reading the very first sentence of this chapter was, what in the name of bubblegum are you talking about, Thomas Akempis? Where are you getting that translation? So on one hand, I don't know what in the world he's doing with the text. On the other hand, I'm like, but, but, I may not know why you're doing that with the text of scripture, but you're bringing up a very important subject that we definitely need to talk about. And we're going to take a number of episodes to discuss this because we need to develop a correct theological understanding of it. Because I think even when we talk about the subject we're going to be talking about, every time I hear Christians mention it, I usually go, what in the name of bubblegum are you talking about? So I don't know what Thomas Akempis is talking about, but he brings up the subject. But as soon as he brings up the subject and I hear any other Christians talk about that subject, I'm usually like, what in the name of bubblegum are you talking about? So maybe we should just call this, what in the name of bubblegum are you talking about? Part one. I I don't think that would probably get a lot of attention, but calling it the theology of, yeah, the subject we're going to be discussing, that may get some attention. We will see. Let, let me do this. I'm going to, I'm going to reach over here. Okay. I, I probably should just say, Thomas Akempis, come on in. I wish Thomas Akempis was alive. I would say, Thomas, come on in. Have a seat. Have a seat right here. We've spent a lot of time together. Me and Thomas Akempis have spent a lot of time together in this empty sanctuary over the past few years. Well, going through his book, The Imitation of Christ. 
But now we come to book two. Remember the, the book, The Imitation of Christ, is broken down into four books. We are in book two, chapter six. And I don't understand what in the world he's talking about. And here's the reason why. I'm not even going to read the title of the chapter. I'm just going to read the very, this is what he has here. This is just, I don't understand this. This has to either be, you know what I'm going to do? Actually, hang on. Before I, I know this is not professional. I'm going to do something here, right? I'm going to type the, I'm going to type this out. Okay, hang on, is a, I'm just going to see if there's possibility. Um, No, this, uh, no, okay, it comes up with, uh, it comes up with this quote from Thomas Akempis. So everything leads me back to Thomas Akempis. I, I, but Thomas Akempis is supposedly not quoting Thomas Akempis. He's supposedly quoting scripture. All right, now it's all going to make sense, okay? Do I, do I have your attention? Do I have your attention? Okay, I know you're like, what, what's going on? What's going on? Okay, good, good, good. Here we go. All right, here's what Thomas Akempis writes. This is page 72 of my copy. Again, book two, chapter six. I quote, very first sentence of this chapter, the glory of a good man is the testimony of a good conscience. So the glory of a good man, it, the, what, 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 what brings glory to a good man is the testimony of a good conscience. All right, now that introduces us to the subject of conscience. But before we can even start talking about that subject, and, and listen, whenever I hear Christians talk about conscience, I typically go, what in the name of bubblegum are they talking about? Because I think in many cases they handle the subject, not only not in a theological way, but in a way that sometimes doesn't even seem to be consistent with Christianity. It seems to be illogical and crazy. I think when Christians start talking about conscience, I sometimes start start thinking that they stopped being Christian. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute, you're a Christian and the way you understand conscience seems to deny some basic Christian teaching. So what in the world are you talking about? But I'm more confused right now about what Thomas Akempis is doing. And here's the reason why. The glory of a good man is the testimony of a good conscience. Open parentheses. First Corinthians chapter one, verse 31, close parentheses, period. Okay, so that seems to indicate that this concept, that the glory of a good man is the testimony of a good conscience, seems to be derived from 1 Corinthians 1.31. Okay, let me, so I was like, okay, let, let me grab 1 Corinthians 1.31. So I got my Bible right here. 1 Corinthians 1.31. That according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Wait, what? Wait, wait. Why is Thomas Akempis referencing that verse? Because that verse seems that if I'm going to glory, glory in the Lord has nothing to do with a good conscience. What, 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 what is going on? So let me do this. I'm going to go to the catholicarchive.org. The catholicarchive.org. And it says here, 
The glory of a good man is the testimony of a good conscience. But please note, at catholicarchive.org, guess what they don't put in parentheses? 1 Corinthians 1, 31. They don't put 1 Corinthians 1, 31. They don't put it there, all right? My book is falling apart. I, I'm sorry, I got pages falling out, all right? I know every time I, we do a, a study in, uh, in the Imitation of Christ, I tell you about how more of my book is falling apart because literally there's not gonna be anything left of this book by the time we're done, but that's okay, all right? The, the goal is to use this edition of the book until we're done with this study, all right? I don't think it's gonna survive. So that doesn't make any sense. So, I, okay, let me think of something. Hang on, I just start, thought of something. Just thought of something. Um, I don't think it's going to work here. No? Okay, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether, uh, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do it all to the glory of God. All right? So whatever we do, we do it for God's glory. It's just weird that the book puts 1 Corinthians there. I don't know why. So, so and, and I looked up every English translation. I looked up every English translation that I have here. And all the English translations, this is how they all read. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. That, that doesn't have anything really to do with conscience. New Living Translation. Therefore, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. ESV. So that is, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. None of that, none of the English translations are, are, are helpful. Even the... Uh, you see here, the Dewey Reams Bible, that as it is written, he that glorieth may glory in the Lord. None of that is helpful to why my book has 1 Corinthians one thirty one placed after the sentence, the glory of a good man is the testimony of a good conscience. So I don't know why that's there. If you have a copy of the book and it puts 1 Corinthians one thirty one there, I don't know why it's there. Makes no sense. In other editions, they've removed 1 Corinthians one thirty one from it. They don't even have a scripture reference there. So I'm going to go with the idea, let's remove scripture from this. And I don't understand what in the name of bubblegum is going on. But I know this, he introduces in this chapter the subject of conscience. And whenever Christians start talking about conscience, I'm usually left asking, what in the name of bubblegum are you talking about? Let's read just a little bit of what Thomas Akempis has to say in regards to conscience. This chapter is called The Joy of a Good Conscience. Now stop right there. This would seem to imply that you can have a good conscience or you could have a bad conscience. What makes one's conscience good? What makes one bad? And how do you know if you have a good one or a bad one? And how do you make one good? And how do you make one bad? These would be relative questions, but I find a lot of Christians, they just like, well, I'm not going to do this because it goes against my conscience. Well, is that a good, are, are you going to follow your conscience with the understanding that you just assume your conscience is good? We, we've heard a lot about this when it comes to the COVID vaccine situation. Well, I can't get it because if I get that vaccine, it goes against my conscience. And then they're like, see, so I don't have to do it because I can't sin against my conscience. Well, wait a minute. Is conscience now the infallible standard by which you decide what you do or don't do? And how do you know if your conscience is good or bad? 
I, I don't think the average Christian, I'm, I'm just going to be honest here. I may offend people. I think the average Christian has so little co- correct theological understanding on conscience that they probably should never use the word and they definitely should never use it as a justification for what they're going to do or not do. I think you probably need to spend a couple of months studying the doctrine and theology of conscience before you can even come close to trying to even figure out how you're going to operate in accordance with it. Thomas Kempis goes on to say, so, so the title is the joy of a good conscience. The glory of a good man is the testimony of a good conscience. Please note, good conscience has now already been mentioned twice. Then the next sentence, have a good conscience. Now good has been mentioned three times. Have a good conscience and you shall never have, and you shall, and you shall ever have joy. If you want joy, you have a good conscience. Good conscience equals joy. A good conscience, now good is mentioned another time. A good conscience is able to bear much and is very joyful in adversities. An evil conscience is always fearful and restless. Oh boy, so now Thomas Kempis has just walked us into the idea that you can have a good conscience or you can have an evil conscience. Joy comes from a good conscience and what comes from an evil conscience is fearfulness and restlessness. Now, I gotta, I'm going to set down Thomas Kempis. Now, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you a question. I gave you a blank sheet of paper right now. I said, I need you to write out for me at least a paragraph. No, no, I'm not even going to give you a, a, a length. I need you to write out a clear explanation of the theology of conscience. What it is, how, how do we know it's good? How do we know it's bad? How much can we trust it? When can we go against it? How do we, like everything you know about conscience, and then justify it, obviously, theologically and scripturally. It would be interesting to see what you could present to me when you were done. I feel that many would put together something that was so absolutely crazy that I would be like, I don't know if there's anything biblical in what you have said at all. In fact, I think you're contradicting your very, a very key doctrine. Let me state it this way. Whatever you believe about conscience, I want you to ensure that your view of conscience is consistent with the doctrine of total depravity. Whatever you believe about conscience, I want you to make sure it is consistent with a sinful nature. We are sinners. That's what we are inside. So if I'm going to talk about conscience, I'm going to follow it. I'm going to go with it. I'm going to go against it. Wait a minute. How does... The existence of conscience correspond to the doctrine of depravity. I've yet here, I've, I've heard most Christians te- speak of conscience as almost as if conscience is somehow protected or insulated from depravity. Like my conscience is not touched by my depravity, so I can always trust my conscience. Where did you, I don't, what in the world, and the, the name of bubblegum is going on. So let's do this. Let's look up the definition of conscience. Now, there's some interesting things that we're going to see develop here in a minute. Okay, so if we look up the definition of conscience, just from a normal dictionary, we will read this. 
conscience. An inner feeling or voice viewed as acting as a guide to the rightness or wrongness of one's behavior. An inner feeling or voice viewed as acting as a guide to the rightness or wrongness of one's behavior. Now, this would be the idea that conscience is this inner thing that gives us some sense of wrong or right. It's either excuses us or condemns us. We may tell in our mind, oh, no, no, it's okay that I do this. But inwardly, we know that we should not be doing it. That conscience is something inside of us that gives us this sense of wrong or right. Okay, so let's just stop right here. From a theological perspective, what would then be conscience? Is it just, where does it arise from? I'll just throw this out there. Is it possible that from a theological perspective, conscience is in a sense, the law of God being written on our hearts? So a good conscience would be a conscience that's in conformity to God's law. And an evil conscience is that which goes against God's law. So can conscience, all right, um, Okay, someone just posted in, in the live chat. How can I get a clean conscience? Now, that's jumping a little ahead, but that's okay. They write this. Conscience can be defined as an inner feeling that acts as a guide to the rightness or wrongness of one's behavior. All right. Now, they say for those with a biblical worldview, the conscience is part of the human soul that is most like God. Those who disbelieve God have a difficult time explaining the existence of the human conscience. Now, I agree there. Evolution cannot account uh, for this facet of the human spirit, which cannot be explained by a survival of the fittest mentality. I completely agree there. The one thing evolution can, the world can't explain. I mean, put it this way, before we even go any further here, right? Because we're going to, this is going to turn into a lengthy, lengthy, lengthy study, not in this episode. Here, I'm just trying to introduce it, but I will say this. The one thing that's fascinating, so fascinating about the culture in 2022, and it was true in 2021, it's been true for the last couple of years. The younger generation seems to be really, 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 really bothered. And I think we, as Christians, we've not taken advantage of this. We've wanted to just mock them and argue with them instead of taking advantage. But the younger generation has really been very concerned about social justice, about right and wrong and ending racism and misogyny and, and ending all of these things. And, 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 and just they, they've been really concerned and bothered in their conscience about, well, justice and right and wrong and and truth and all of these concepts and and many of you say well now they're woke and it's social justice and it's all nonsense i got you but maybe instead of just speaking down to it we're like wait a minute does that not bring up the subject of conscience there's something in them saying that this is right and this is wrong well where does that feeling arise from in other words instead of seeing it as i've got to argue about their views of right and wrong Maybe instead of arguing about their views of right and wrong, that was an opportunity for us to have a discussion of why they even have a feeling about right and wrong. Where does that arise from? Now, the article that was posted here in the chat 
says it's a part of the soul. I'm going to be, I'm not going to completely argue against that, but I'm going to argue that conscience, and and this is just, I'm going to throw out a theory here, thesis, hypothesis, not dogma yet, right? Nothing dogmatic. That's what we're going to work through as we go through this. In fact, I got a very large book over here that's marked, and not a lot of people are going to like the book I'm going to go to, but I'm going to go to that book because I think it connects to how Thomas Akempis understands the subject, all right? So just stay with me here. I think, and I'm not saying it's not connected to the fact that we are created in the image of God and God is a moral being. And because God is a moral being, there's a sense of morality deep in us. I, I, that, that, I think that I think it's because we're creating the image of God is why there's some level of conscience. But I think it's primarily focused on that is it not, and you can just, you can, you can think this through, that God has written on the human heart his law. And the reason people have a sense of right and wrong and justice in these issues is because God's law is written on their heart, whether they know it or not. In a sense, they're living in a court. They're trying to live out in a way this inner feeling of right and wrong because it's God's law. So a good conscience would be defined as that which is in, in accordance with God's law. And an evil conscience would be that which goes against God's law. It's still the, the both manifest itself in some sense of this is right and this is wrong, justifying, condemning. I mean, it's just crazy. People who will leave Christianity sometimes, young people who leave Christianity will become like evangelist for, no, we're going to fight for this just this this thing of justice. And they, and, they, and they become like crusaders for right and for wrong. And in many cases, they were they, they crusade more for right and wrong now in their as a lost person than they ever did when they professed to be a Christian. That, that which is bizarre, but to me is like okay. I'm not going to argue about your view of right and wrong. I'm going to argue where does it arise from? If you if you reject God, where does your sense of right and wrong come from? To me, I think it's God's law written on our hearts. So this gives me a, a, a formula that conscience is only as good. As, okay, uh, and, and they go on. Uh, someone someone just wrote or uh, uh, posted here. The article uh, references this verse for conscience. Then the Lord said, behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and how he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. That's interesting. I would put, I would connect it to that we're creating the image of God and God is a moral being. And so morality is built into us. But I think specifically it's connected to the fact that he's written his law on our hearts. That's where I would tend to do so. Now I'm going to do something here. I got to turn. I'm going to turn the volume all the way down on my iPad because uh, after so many comments get posted in the in the chat, it, for some reason that I I will start missing them on the computer. So I've got to open up the uh, podcast app, hit play, and then click on the chat. Now I can see everything. Okay. If I if I for some reason don't see your comment, I will get back to it. All right. So. That's where I think it, it, I think that's where it's connected to. Now we could go to scripture here, but I'm not going to do that right now. So here's what I'm, I'm going to work on as we move into further episodes where we take the concept of conscience apart. Now, well, before I tell you what I'm going to do, so this is, I think this is interesting. If you go to Theopedia, uh, 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 yeah, Theopedia, Theopedia.com, Theopedia.com. And I just found that this was fascinating. 
if I go to theopedia.com and I look up conscience, they don't give me like, here's the definition of conscience, which typically Theopedia would do that, right? Theopedia will give me like the theological definitions of very important concepts. But Theopedia doesn't do that here, which is fascinating. What they do is they say conscience and then they have these words. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature the things required by the law, they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them, Romans 2.14. They connect conscience. They don't even offer a definition of it. They just simply say Romans 2.14. There's conscience. Conscience is the written law of God on the human heart. That's how I'm going to define conscience as of right now. Now, here's the thing. You, your conscience then is an inner feeling, but I don't look to the inner feeling. I look to the law, which is written on my heart. The, the better I understand God's word, the better I understand his law, then the better formed my conscience will be. The more I ignore his word and just look for a feeling, the greater chance I'm going to end up with an evil conscience and be misled or deceived by my conscience. Because God's law is written on my heart, but guess what is also inside of me? Sin and pride and the sinful nature, which then makes listening to that conscience very questionable. What I need to listen to is God's, I need to look to God's word, which is outside of me. But that's the very source that is forming my conscience. All right, now I know, I'm, I'm no, I know a lot of people are going to disagree with what I'm saying here. I think this is the only way to make it work. See, if I say, well, conscience is something God gives me. So I listen and, and try to, cause that feels wrong. That feels right. Well, I don't feel, I don't feel guilty about that in my conscience. So it can't be wrong. That is ridiculous approach makes it to me that denies human depravity. Conscience is that just inner sense of right and wrong based off God's law. That's written on my heart. That's how I kind of feel like this is right. And this is wrong. Okay. Got it. But my sins messes all of that up. So what can I do? Well, if the source of conscience is God's law, then I go to the law external to me right here. And the more I understand the law and the more I feed on the law and meditate on the law, the, the, the more in focus, the louder my conscience can be, the clearer my conscience can be to push me in the right direction. But I don't ever want to base my decision on my conscience, I want to base my decision on the source of my conscience, which is God's law. Now, I know that goes against so much of what people say, but it's the only thing that makes sense to me. Now, what we're going to do is this. I'm going to lean over here. All right. I have a book here that's almost a thousand pages long. Almost about 900 and something pages. All right, so maybe, maybe, maybe it's closer to 900 than it is 1,000. Right, we'll say 900, all right, now that I'm thinking from memory. All right, you hear it? Some of you know what this is. And, you know, and the reason you know what book I have in my hands is because you know we're reading The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis, and Thomas Akempis was, class, a Catholic monk. So his understanding of conscience would be more consistent with the Catholic understanding. So I have here the Catechism of the Catholic Church. 
and I'm looking at pair, uh, page 438, paragraph, now this is the easiest way for you to look it up, paragraph 1776. Not the year, the paragraph, 1776. And this falls under Article 6, which is called Moral Conscience. We are going to begin a journey through the Catholic teaching on moral conscience because that will help us understand a little bit of what Thomas Kemp is saying. I know what you're saying. We're never going to finish the imitation of Christ. Well, we can either hurry to finish the book or we can take advantage of what subjects are presented to us so that we can have a better understanding. And I think when it comes to conscience, we need to take every opportunity to study it. And every time I come across this, I do the same thing. I basically follow the same pattern of thought because so many times when I hear Christians mention conscience, it it doesn't sound Christian to me. It sounds like some weird Like, so conscience is this feeling and I go with the feeling. And if the feeling doesn't convict me, then the behavior is right. But if the feeling convicts me, then it's wrong. Whoa, what in the name of bubblegum are you talking about? Remember what's also inside of you, depravity. The heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. I don't want to trust anything that arises from within me. That's why I love Christianity, because God's law is external to me. Now, he's written it on my heart, which is great, which may add to conviction, may add to motivating me to go the right direction. But I've already, I have to constantly check that with the actual written revelation of God. But is the Catholic Church going to go with the same direction? Are they going to go in a different direction? How does Thomas Kempis understand it? Now, We could stop right there, but I just want to at least start here. All right. 17, let's see, do I, how far back do I want to go here? We could definitely go, we could go back. Now we could go back to article five, which is the morality of the passions, but we're just going to start in article six, moral conscience. I want you to just hear the first paragraph here and the first, uh, okay, well, I'm just going to go with the first paragraph. Here we go. Deep within his conscience, man discovers a law which he has not laid upon himself, but which he must obey. Now, I love that. So deep within your conscience, you're going to find a law which you didn't come up with. You didn't put it there. Now, I think this is clearly Romans 2. If I said Revelation earlier, I meant Romans 2. If I said Revelation, I don't know why I said Revelation. Romans 2. This is Romans 2. When you look inside of you, you find a law. You didn't put it there. You didn't put it there. Why do you have this sense of, you You see it in children very early on. That's not fair. That's, where did they get the concept of? They, they, there's just a, this built-in sense of right and wrong and morality. It's because we're created in the image of God and to go a step beyond just being created in the image of God, God is a moral being. We are moral beings. He put his law on the human heart. And we find that law inside of us. It's voice ever calling him to love and to do what is good and to avoid evil. Uh, sounds in his heart at the right moment. For man has in his heart a law inscribed by God. His conscience is man's, his conscience is man's most secret core and his sanctuary. 
There he is alone with God, whose voice echoes in his depths. Now stop right there. Now, some of that, I don't know if I agree with how they, they seem to want to imply that the conscience is a little bit more present than I think it is. I think, I think the conscience is in us, but it is so, how, how can I think about this? Um, let me see if I can make this work. I've got to try to use an illustration here. Um, if you're listening to music, right, you're listening to music and you have the volume just kind of a, not, not too loud, not too low, just kind of, just kind of right there and all of it. And you're listening to it and it's this beautiful music, but all of a sudden in another part of the, of the house or maybe outside, there's some just loud noise going up. Maybe they're drilling. Maybe it's an airplane, whatever. All of a sudden you can't really hear. I mean, you know, the music is there. Maybe you can even sense it. Maybe you can feel the bass depending on the, on the quality of your sound system, but you can't really make it out. You can't make out the instruments. Now it's just a cacophony of sound, right? You got the music playing. You got the music, the, the sound blaring in the background, whether it's a drill, an airplane, maybe someone else has got the TV blaring. And all of a sudden it just becomes this wall of sound. You can't really distinguish anything. You can kind of feel the sound, but you can't make anything out. You can't hear lyrics you can't hear instruments you can't you know can't really hear what is that sound outside sound outside it's just this mess of sound and i think the way conscience works inside of us and you got you got to hear me out here is that because of the sinful nature the 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 god's law is there but it's all just messed up with the sound of our own depravity, our own desires, our own pride. And it's just this mess of sound inside of us where we can't quite figure out what's right and what's wrong. We're, we're conf- we know there's, we, the, the sound is there enough to give us a sense of wrong and right, but we cannot hear it clearly. Now, what helps us hear it clearly is when we, well, embrace, acknowledge, God's law is right and pure and holy, and we read it, we meditate on it, we think about it, that begins to incense. Think, I want you to hear this word. I know it's a very Catholic word. Inform our conscience. A conscience is not good and cannot be trusted if it's not a well-informed conscience. The conscience is well-informed by exposing ourselves to the external word of God, which in a sense, the law of God is written on our hearts. The source of it is God's God's word. So when Christians say, well, I can't get the shot because it goes against, say the vaccine, because it goes against my conscience, that, that conscience is based off God's law. So what law of God is prohibiting you from doing Whatever action you're saying, well, I don't think I can do that. It goes against my conscience. No, does it? How does it uh, line up with God's law? Now I know that's going to tick off a lot of people because they want it to be such an inner feeling. Well, if I got an inner feeling here, now I know you're going to say, but there's scripture here saying that we can't. It, it, it's wrong to go against our conscience. Okay, well, we got to. Don't we have to at least? We, don't we have to modify that to some level? Because you can say, well, hey, so, hey, I can divorce my wife if my conscience doesn't go against me. And people say, no, 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 that, that, it doesn't work that way. Okay, exactly. 
So I can only go with my conscience as it relates to God's word. It's not just a feeling. It is a feeling, but the feeling is only correct and how it's connected to the law of God, which is written on our hearts. And the only way I don't listen to the law of God on my heart, that is to drive me to the source, which is scripture. Even the Catholics acknowledge it's God's law. That, that's what's in our conscience. It's the law of God written inside of our heart. That's what we're going to have to consider. Now, I, I could say more here. Let's see. Um, I'm, I'm going to stop right there. I'm just going to stop right there. Okay. I want to go further, but I'm going to stop right there. So I'm going to mark this page again, uh, page 438 um, or paragraph 1776. Now we've talked about this before, at, at least in this church. We've we've studied this multiple times, um, and I, I. But I don't feel I don't feel bad about repeating it. I don't feel bad. Some of you may go, well, you've already studied this. Trust me. Every time we study something a, a, a second time, we, we always find more. We find new uh, new things. So please don't just dismiss this as well. We've already studied it before. No, we need to study it again. And I know my perspective on this is really. I hate to say it, somewhat radical to how many Christians think. I just think many Christians, they, they treat conscience almost like this infallible guide that all they have to do is follow. And I'm like, that's nonsense. It's inside of you. There's nothing infallible inside of you. You say, well, the Holy Spirit's inside of me. Yes, and, and but guess what? It's still inside of you. So you've got your sin nature. So how do you listen to it? That's why when Christians start saying, well, I try to follow this feeling and, and I can't. That's nonsense. It's a concophony of sound that you cannot distinguish what is what. But you know what I can distinguish? God's word says, thou shall not kill. Thou shall not steal. Thou shall not bear false witness. Thou shall not commit adultery. That's God's, that's right there. In, right there. So it doesn't matter what I feel. God's, if God's word condemns it, my feeling is, irrele- is irrelevant. What I need to do is get God's word so informing my conscience that when I go against it, I immediately feel the conviction of it. That's what. And if if my conscience, quote unquote, tells me that I can do it, I need to check it with God's word. And if God's word says no, then I don't listen to my conscience. I, I know, I know people are going to be quoting the scripture to me. I, we're going to get to all of the scriptures in regards to conscience. We will. And we'll deal with all of the, con- the, the difficulties. I've just, I've just heard so much nonsense when it comes to conscience. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I believe conscience is God's law written on our hearts. On top of the fact that we're moral beings because we're creating the image of God. And, and the key is a well-informed conscience, and that has to be developed. And we can have an evil conscience, which is a conscience separated from God's law, ignorant of God's law. Okay, I'll stop right there. Nobody else has posted any other questions or, or comments. Thank you, Will, for all of your help here. Um, I'm definitely going to have to look up their article. I don't know if I, I think I'm going to go in a different direction than they go. I love Got Questions, though. GotQuestions.org is a great website. I check it all the time for any time I have questions. So it's a great place to start, but I, I kind of go in a different direction. And I think Theopedia 
Uh, I, it's just interesting. Theopedia, they don't even give a definition. They're just like, here, Romans 2. I, I find that fascinating. They're like, they don't even bother to even try to give an explanation. Just look at this scripture. That's it. That's it. And then they just list all kinds of other scriptures that speak of conscience. But Romans 2 seems to be the, the hermeneutical key into understanding what conscience is. We'll have to see if that holds up. And we'll see what the Catholic catechism is. And then we'll get back to what Thomas Akempis has to say in regards to conscience. Um, yeah, okay. I, I almost want to go back to Thomas Akempis, but we'll, 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 we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll, we'll make it through this relatively quick, I think. So if you have any questions or thoughts in regards to conscience, email me, newsif at yahoo.com. And if you're part of the Discord uh, Theology Central discussion group, start asking questions away because I know there's probably everyone in the group is going to disagree with me. I know everyone. There's only one person in the group who cannot disagree with me. That's Twyla because she's been a member of this church since she was little. So she can't. If Twyla disagrees with me, then then she's wrong. No, I'm joking. No, anybody in the group can disagree with me um, because I believe in the freedom to be wrong. So you have the freedom to disagree with me. Therefore, you would be wrong. I'm joking. But uh, yes, conscience. I know. I know what you're thinking. Literally, you just started now a new series. I know. It's not really a new series, but um, we have to talk about it. We just, I can't just say, hey, Thomas Akempis says, here, here's the good thing about a good conscience and here's the bad things about an evil conscience. Let's move on. No, we got to, because I, everyone will hear that. Everyone who hears that episode about conscience will, will hear it in their understanding of conscience. And I think most Christians' understanding of conscience is wrong. So, I'm going to challenge everyone to rethink it. You still may think I'm wrong. That's okay. But based on what, how most people view, I'll be like, well, my conscience doesn't convict me that I'm wrong about conscience. So therefore my conscience is clear. So therefore I'm going to believe what I believe about conscience. Is that how that works? I, I, I See, it, it just gets really weird when people start doing that. Well, my conscience, I'm not convicted. My conscience doesn't convict me. That, that's irrelevant. <laughs> that's irrelevant. Something is right or wrong, irregardless of your conscience and what it feels because your conscience may not be well-informed. Therefore, you can't trust it. And even if it is well-informed, can you ever truly trust your conscience? Because depravity is still there as well. See, it just becomes, it becomes maddening to me talking about it. All right, I'm going to stop right there and I'm going to go home and I'm going to eat some lunch. So I hope you've had a wonderful day of three hours, basically three hours of live broadcasting. And, uh, Hopefully you've benefited from it. We've had a devotional thought. We've had the Bible study exercise and we've had the imitation of Christ. And I know there's about 50 other things we need to talk about and I did not get to them, but uh, that's it. I'm going to head home. So um, if you have any questions, you can reach me at email or in the Discord uh, Theology Central group. Uh, there should be some discussions going on there later this afternoon. So feel free to participate. Everyone have a great day. Thanks for listening. God bless.